Let's begin reading in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become more effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. Please be seated. We live in a world of conflict. On a large scale, our society is divided more than ever. All you have to do is turn on the TV or talk radio or social media, and you can't go far without there being major disputes and arguments. People seemingly no longer know how to speak to one another with civility, which sadly seems to be a lost art in our society. seems that a generation ago, people could have differences, express those differences vehemently, and yet still respect one another. Leave that conversation, even that argument, on good terms, even if no change of opinion had occurred between the two parties. Now there is seemingly name-calling and anger and vitriol that is quite scary. There's a loss of civil discourse. And that conflict is not just out there. It happens at home as well. It happens between family members and extended family, where there is spirited discussion, as we like to call it, but hopefully that spirited discussion always is resolved. Conflict comes home. And what is true in our homes is also true in our churches as well, that our churches are not free of conflict. There can be even great division. And that is not anything new, sadly. If you read most of Paul's letters, you see that oftentimes Paul was addressing various conflicts in the church. If you read Galatians, he is talking about a theological conflict. If you read Corinthians, he's talking about a moral conflict in that church. And in the book of Philippians, he's talking about an interpersonal conflict where there are two women. And he says to Yodia and Syntyche, I treat you to agree in the Lord. So much was their dispute with each other that it had overflown into the church itself. The church is filled with conflict. And we can't just say, well, that's life. We're just going to naturally have division. We're naturally going to have conflict. And oftentimes that conflict is going to be unresolved. The urging, even command of scripture is to be reconciled one with another. And if you think about the book of Philemon that we are studying, there are possible various themes, but one of the greatest themes, I think, is that of reconciliation. As Paul asks for Philemon, the recipient of this letter, to receive back his slave Onesimus, Paul recognizes with this request the ramifications, that this is a large request, that this means that Philemon is going to have to go against the social norms of the day, 
but he is to do so for the gospel's sake. In that way, it is a conflict. There's a conflict, no doubt, between Philemon and Onesimus, and even between Paul and Philemon himself because of this request. So how does Paul handle such a conflict? That question is important. That question is vital. We need to learn these skills so that we are able to resolve our conflicts in our own life. Because in our daily lives, we experience the same. Yet, what I think we will see is that the things that Paul says to us here need to be front and center. And what they are, are laid out for us here in verses 4 and 5. And there are three things, and they are our three points tonight. Three solutions for conflict. The first is prayer. Second is thanksgiving. And the third is encouragement. And we'll see each one of those tonight. First, prayer. I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you. Paul was a man of prayer. This wasn't a peripheral peripheral part of his life, but it was front and center to his own existence, to his very ministry. He was a man of the word and of prayer. In fact, most of Paul's letters, most of his epistles begin with prayer. In fact, take a moment and turn back with me to the book of Colossians. If you were here with us last week, then you heard that the book of Colossians is really the companion letter to this book of Philemon. They seemingly were sent together, and the church in Colossae was the church that was meeting in Philemon's home. And so he addresses the one letter, Philemon, to the individual, as well as to the entire church, as we saw last week. But the book of Colossians is written to, in, to the church in its entirety. And so Colossians 1 There's many similar themes between Philemon and this book. And I think here we have some of the context of Paul's prayer when he says in Philemon chapter 1 that I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayer. Well, what was Paul's prayer? Not only for Philemon, but for the entire church in Colossae. Well, we see in verse 3 of Colossians 1, When he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So notice that Paul is saying that himself, as well as the other apostles and ministers of the gospel, were in prayer for this church in Colossae. And then if you go down to verse 9, we see some of the things that Paul was praying specifically for this church. It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We see there that that is a very in-depth prayer that Paul was praying. He was not praying, God, I 
I hope the church in Colossae does well. I hope you watch over them and keep them. Not that that is a bad prayer in itself, but we see that Paul is a lot more specific. He says, let them be filled with knowledge and with spiritual wisdom and understanding. May they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruits in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That they would be strengthened with power and endurance and patience and joy. We could go on. In fact, we could spend our entirety of our night just looking at Paul's prayer for Colossae here. Paul was a man of prayer. As you know, last, this last summer we did an entire study on the prayers of Paul called Praying with Paul. It was 12 to 13 weeks. And even then we didn't cover all of the prayers that Paul prays in his various letters to the churches. And that study, as we saw, was one that was rich, it was dynamic, it was in-depth. And it demonstrates too often that our prayers are quite anemic and lacking. And so we would do well to pray with Paul, even take these prayers with us into the prayer closet and pray for people specifically, pray for your church in the same way that that Paul prays for the churches back then because those prayers are still relevant for today. They weren't just specific needs for that specific congregation. They were needs for the entire church, that they would grow up in their spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding and that they would bear fruit. All of it goes to demonstrate that Paul was very much a man of prayer. And so when we come back to Philemon then, when it says here that Paul was always in prayer for Philemon, those are more than just words. Those are more than just saying, oh, I'm, I'm praying for you, Philemon. No, we see that it was a real part, a real demonstration of who Paul was and what his ministry really was about. Paul was a prayer. He's always praying, he says. And that is quite tremendous when you think about it. When we think of all the works that he was involved with, with all the preaching and teaching and disputing that he was daily engaged in, he didn't overlook the need of prayer. And I think it's especially important when we think again of the nature of this letter. As we said at the beginning, this letter is a letter of confrontation. And so what is Paul engaged in? As he goes to, in a sense, confront Philemon, he's engaged in prayer. That is convicting, isn't it? When is the last time you said, you know what, I have this difference with this person. I'm in somewhat of a conflicting situation or we're at odds with one another. I need to take some time and and pray. Pray for this situation and pray for this person before I go to speak with them and try to get this resolved. Prayer is too often the furthest thing from our mind when we're in a conflict. That conflict, no doubt, is always on our mind and in our heart, but do we take those things to the Lord in prayer? If we did, I think it would revolutionize our conflicts with one another. 
if we would go more frequently to the Lord. Second, we see not only was it a prayer, but it was a prayer of thanksgiving. Notice he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. But that is the tone of his prayer. Again, think how different that is. As I said, first of all, we don't usually think about prayer when we're in conflict. But second, if we do, we're more likely to pray imprecatory prayers than to pray prayers of thanksgiving. We pray things like, Lord, let them see that their hearts are callous and cold. And let them see the error of their ways. And perhaps show them how much they are truly knuckleheads in this situation. And that I'm really right and they are wrong. Lord, show them that. That's the kind of attitude that we take when we're in conflict with one another. No, we should not be praying in precatory type prayers. Not that those aren't needed at time, but those should never be needed in your interpersonal relationships with your neighbors or with your coworkers or with your family members, and especially not with those within the church. Imprecatory prayers, prayers of judgment should not be prayed for those that you share a pew with, ever. I guarantee it. Rather, we should be filled with prayers of thanksgiving. If you can't pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the person that you are in conflict with, then it's first and foremost your heart that you need to get right with the Lord. Not to say that that other person doesn't have their issues, their problems, no doubt, but you have to begin with yourself. Isn't that what the Lord always says, is that we need to remove the log from our eye before we try to remove the speck from our brother's eyes? And no doubt that begins in prayer. And we need to have a heart that can give thanks in every circumstance, Paul says, elsewhere. And it needs to be first and foremost through prayer. And let me make this personal. Let's take an example. Let's take your marriage, for example. Think about the last time you had a conflict with your spouse. What were the first words that came out of your mouth? Most likely they were words to defend yourself, to defend your view, to show how you are right and your spouse is wrong. So if we applied this solution for conflict in our own personal marriages, what would be the first thing that we should do? First thing should not be defend ourselves. The first thing we should stop and say, you know what, maybe we should pray about this first. Again, how much that would revolutionize your time and your discussion. And second, if you did go in prayer, what kind of prayer would you pray? Would you begin with thanks? Or again, would you rather say, Lord, this wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't for the woman that you gave me. Or Lord, I think I married the last caveman, a real blockhead, uncaring and insensitive. If he had a heart, he would know what to do in this situation. Those are the ways that we think naturally, do we not? We don't think in ways of thanksgiving. And I use marriage as an example because it's the easiest one, but it could be any relation, really. The thought should be the same. 
How different would your conflicts be if you began with saying, thank you, Lord, for my wife. Thank you, Lord, for my husband. Thank you for my boss, for my neighbors, for my coworkers, for my son or my daughter or my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my fellow church member, for this elder, for that deacon. And then not just gave thanks generally, but then listed two or three things that we were specifically thankful for about that person. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have put them in this place of leadership or that you have given them to me in marriage. I think our attitude for that person would be completely different, would it not? And you might say, well, that would be great if there would be anything to thank the Lord for about that person, but there's not. Again, that is telling, isn't it? Demonstrates that the problem lies more with us than perhaps with them. We need to begin in thanksgiving. And that's what Paul does here. He specifically thanks the Lord. And here even publicly thanks Philemon. And he thanks him for two things. You see this in verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And for all the saints. And just to be a little bit technical here, what Paul does in the Greek is employ a chiastic construction. He does this elsewhere in his letters. The chiastic part of that comes from the Greek letter of chi, which is the English equivalent of X. That means that here he writes in a way that the phrases crisscross each other. To put it in letters, it would go A, B, B, A. And the ESV writes it in that normal way in which Paul speaks about it in the Greek. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. But most Commentators believe that what Paul was intending here is that it's love for all of the saints. Notice those are at the end, the bookends. And in the middle, it is the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in other words, Paul is saying, I thank the Lord for your love for all of the saints and for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In a moment, we'll discuss why I think Paul uses this chiastic structure. But first, let's take a look at those two things. Paul says, there's two things that come to mind, two specific things that I want to thank you for, and I'm thanking the Lord for these being evident in your life. The first is your faith, that you are a genuine believer. You're not a fake. Your faith is known and it is demonstrated. And one of the great ways that it is demonstrated is your love for all the saints. As we saw last week, he had the church, the church in Colossae, meet in his home. It seemed to be quite a large church, and so this would have been a large undertaking, and it demonstrates that he had a great love for all the saints to gather and worship the Lord and to use his home in that way. He was demonstrating hospitality. For this church to have a place to gather together. And it says that not only does he have a love for those specific saints, but he has a love for all of the saints. This perhaps means that Philemon, being somewhat of a wealthy man, might have been a contributor 
to Paul and to his ministry and to the greater church and probably gave generously. Think for a minute about those two things. How is it that Paul would know these things about Philemon? Well, he would know some of it from personal experience, but more so from the testimony of others, specifically perhaps from Onesimus, the slave that he is now sending back to Philemon, the one that had done him wrong. Remember, Onesimus had run away from Philemon, and it seems that Onesimus even stole from Philemon on his escape to provide for himself. Onesimus now was being sent back. But if you think about it, Onesimus probably would not be going back if he thought Philemon was a fake or a fraud, if he wasn't a true Christian. If he was telling Paul, yeah, well, Philemon might have the whole church in his home, but, uh, you know, he just talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. No, no. I think Paul knew that Philemon was a genuine believer from Onesimus himself. And if anyone would know that Philemon was a fraud or a fake, it would be those that were in his very home, those that were dealing with him on a daily basis. No, those people saw a real change, a real faith, a real love for all the saints. So Onesimus, no doubt, was saying he is. He is a true believer. And Paul gives thanks for this. It might have even been one of the reasons why Onesimus was converted. Perhaps the Lord struck his heart with guilt that he had not only done this to his master, but he had done this to a Christian master, one that was good to him and that was kind to him. And it brought about that conviction of sin. And as a result, he was brought to saving faith because he saw that true saving faith modeled in Philemon. It makes me wonder if if others would see the same in us. If others would look at us the way that we conduct ourselves in our neighborhoods or conduct ourselves in our workplace, would they say or would they come to the same conclusion that Paul comes to here of Philemon that that person That man or woman, they no doubt have a true faith, a true saving faith in Christ and a true love for the church, a true love for all of the saints. I hope that would be true of each and every one of us. And perhaps you may want to even take it one step further. Perhaps you want to even ask your spouse when you get home tonight, have you seen these two things evident in my life? Or what are ways that... I am increasing in my faith and and growing in the Lord and growing in my love for all of the saints. Hopefully there would be good indications of both for all of us because those are things that should not just be true of Philemon, but should be true for us all. And so the first two solutions to conflict are prayer and thanksgiving and true godly life rendering rife altering change that we should be able to give thanks for especially with brothers and sisters in the lord jesus christ well third we see then encouragement here in this thanksgiving is encouragement he says i know that these two things are true that they are evidenced in your life your faith and your love yet even before he goes on to make this request paul in a sense here is saying 
and your love and your faith that has been evident is going to be stretched in this request. And so I'm going to encourage you that that faith and that love that is evident may be demonstrated even in greater measure through the way that you treat Onesimus in this situation. And I think that is why Paul here uses this chiastic structure because it's a bit unusual. It's a a, a little bit different way of writing. And so perhaps as Philemon and the church would have read this letter, they would have had a bit of a pause and said, now why is it that Paul wrote it in this type of structure? Why is it that this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is in the center and then this love for the saints is on the outside? Well, I think part of it is because that faith is the center of our relationship with Christ. That it begins with faith. And from that faith then comes the love for all of the saints. And so he puts that part which is essential in the middle and then puts the principle that is related to it on the outside. Perhaps you could even think of it like a bullseye. That he's saying you need to have this faith, which you do, and that you also need to have this love for all of the saints. That from this faith in the Lord, first and foremost, must be demonstrated in your love for all of the saints. Because one of the chief fruits of faith is love. Love for God and love for one another. And love for the saints. And so Paul is saying, I think here to Philemon, yes, I'm thankful for you this in your life. And now you need to demonstrate it. Now you need to show it. You need to demonstrate it towards a specific person, your very own slave that has done you wrong, Onesimus. Because what has happened in your life has also happened in Onesimus' life. That he has had this saving faith and now this love for all of the saints. And how is that love being demonstrated in Onesimus' life? That he's willing to go back. Willing to go and try to be reconciled with his master. And so Paul is saying, receive him back. Demonstrate that faith and that love that I am so thankful for that is there. Your faith in Christ must be most important. And your faith must evidence itself in love. And so these two beginning verses here as Paul gets into his letter is not only thanksgiving, it's encouragement. It's a gentle reminder of that which matters. In other words, Paul, in just a few simple words, really gives a preview of what the entire book is about. Before he dives into the heart of the matter, before he makes his request, he says, this is what you need to be reminded of. This is what I know is true of you. And that which is evidence now demonstrated even in greater measure. And we should find good encouragement here as well. When we think about unity, think about peace in the church, When we think about love for the brethren, why? Why would we be harping on these things? Why would we put these things as preeminent and important? Well, our faith in Jesus Christ demands it. If anyone had reason to be at odds with us, it would be Christ. 
yet Christ went to the uttermost for us to be saved, to have us be reconciled to a holy God, and thus we are. And so, as a result, can our faith now with one another remain unresolved? No, it cannot, especially with two people that believe in the same thing, that believe in the same thing that Christ has done for them. And so our love for all of the saints should be manifested out of our faith towards Christ. In the same way God and Christ has loved us, we ought to love one another. Again, we have all the encouragement that we need to resolve our conflicts. If we would apply these things, as I said at the beginning, if we live in a world of conflict, but if we are to revolutionize our conflict, if we are to apply right and godly solutions, then I think our conflicts would be a lot different. They would actually be means by which we can grow, means by which we can be strengthened, means by which our bonds with one another can be tightened if we would employ these three things, prayer, thanksgiving, and encouragement. I encourage you to try it next time when you're in conflict with one another or conflict within your home and report back to me. I think we would all say that this is the way and the means, the guaranteed spirit-approved results that each and every one needs to solve our conflicts in a biblical and godly way. Oh, may the Lord help us in these things. Amen.